What are you talking about? It's office hours on a Wednesday. It's more good news Wednesday. And I got two of my favorite people in the whole wide world in black. My boy back in black. Come back in black himself, Mikey D. How are you, Micah Diamond? I've been in a hotel for the last, you know, three weeks and it's going to be another 90 days, but I'm good. I'm staying sane. Oh, well, you're saving lives and making money. There's nothing wrong with that. And I got one of my good friends. Uh, I was with him yesterday with Donnie. Um, Donnie Starkins with Darren Waller, his podcast host guest. I have to tell you this, Donnie Starkins being a life coach, a teacher, obviously speaker, um, and a podcast host. I do tons of interviews, as you know, probably more than any human, maybe on earth, as many interviews as I give in a day with all the shows I have. I did an interview yesterday in our studios at Blue Wire at the Wynn Hotel with Donnie and Darren, and it was one of the best interviews I've ever been involved. It wasn't, they get, it was on their podcast. So they have the comeback stories podcast, which I'd been on before. And we did a really nice job the first time, more traditional style asking Dave Meltzer's story and, you know, come back, blah, blah. But man, we went on a channeling tear yesterday where Donnie brought up issues. And then Darren who's in recovery, David, who should be in recovery, and Donnie, who's in recovery, all kind of flowed. And I didn't want it to stop. It went over an hour. Um, Donnie, did you ever think that we would share moments like that on a podcast? You know, as you're describing it, I have the goosebumps because I was talking to Darren last night when I got home back here in Phoenix and just talking about how meaningful of a conversation that was. And how, you know, we kind of went off our, our normal structure and script, but the depth and the meaning of that conversation yesterday, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have chills right now and you nailed it. I mean, it is, it's everything. It's, it's, it's what we envisioned, but we never had any idea that it would actually come to this. And yesterday's conversation with you, man, was like, um, you know, you're one of my favorite people in the world and now one of my mentors and my coaches and Darren, you know, I coach him, but I sure learn a lot and get inspired from, from him a lot. Also to have us three in the mix talking about everything that matters. It's that's what it's all about. And we're back to back with my man in the same position, you know, Mike diamond. And we share these conversations, which is so cool that yesterday I got to be on your podcast. And today you're on this show office hours live. Um, you know, Mike and you share so many things in common, which is why I love both of you and you inspire me so much. And, you know, I, I learn so much as you do as a coach. You were talking about coaching Donnie, I mean, Darren, and so many times, I think we even said it in the interview, right, Mikey, you're coaching people and you give them advice and you're like, shit, I should take that advice. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the beauty of it, because when you get like, for example, I'm on a job right now and I'm literally with one someone one-on-one -on -one for 90 days and i have to stick to my rituals but then i relearn my rituals because and it's like staying on those things like my readings my writings my meditations my workouts and then it re refires it and you're like oh my god that's why i have to stay in process and that's why i think it's brilliant what you just said it's like we have to keep coaching people and we have to keep working on ourselves but if we don't coach people we start working on ourselves and it's a great loop do you know what I mean? That's if you're a good coach, obviously. And congrats on your, I, when I was reading your thing, you had obviously the painkillers from the back surgery, correct? And then, then you went into recovery, right? Was that, that's, yep. that's correct? Yeah. yeah. So I want to ask you a question. So when was, when was your rock bottom? What was that point spiritually that you said, okay, painkillers are done. It doesn't matter about these back surgeries. I've got to get sober. What was that point? So people listening can understand if they're struggling, you know, there's a point you can turn it around. Yeah, for me, it was lying. I was lying on my couch in living in Cincinnati, Ohio. I had tried to do a geographical change and, and change my location, but my problems just followed me. And I couldn't even get off the couch. I was riddled in anxiety and fear and the, the pills had stopped working. You know, you take the pills, you know, initially you take them, they last three hours and they wear off and you take some more and it's to the point where they're not even working anymore. And I'm just stuck in fear, anxiety, um, guilt and shame, isolation. My dog wants to come up and play ball with me. She's got the ball in her mouth and she's like nudging me and I can't even walk outside to the backyard to go throw the ball. And she, 
eventually gives up. I can remember her licking the tears off of my face. And so just getting caught in this, there was a lot of circumstances that led up to that, but this was it where I just, I was really sick and tired of being sick and tired. I would wake up every single morning and not think about breakfast, a shower, a morning routine. My morning routine was the moment I woke up to grab some pills and take them because on an empty stomach, 20 minutes later, I would have like this calm sense over me, like, like taking a breath does for me today. And then I could go deal with life on life's terms for a couple hours. But that vicious, vicious cycle, I mean, it just, it, I got sick and tired of being caught in that and finally surrendered. Amazing. You know, and that surrender is so interesting to me, um, Donnie. One of the things that I have difficulty with is, you know, for me, the use and abuse of alcohol and drugs was in a self-inflicted one, right? I, I made a conscious decision to drink, to, to party. I, I, it was around me and maybe I was, you know, overexposed to it and, and felt peer pressure. But, you know, what you went through, I see because I deal with so many athletes, you know, to me is so painful because, you know, I know a, a tennis player at USC, one of the top tennis players at USC that had back problems and ended up, on oxy and and then on heroin um but this is like a stellar guy right a stellar guy that was misprescribed the, the wrong solution the wrong healing uh, mechanism or modality which led to a biochemical reaction and you know combined with of course the worst is for athletes because you know it's one thing if you're like a ceo and you have back surgery and they give you oxy and, and you still can work you know you you could sit there all day and you're still making tons of money. You're, you're in, it's different than you take a 19 to 25 year old kid and you take away their dream while you give them something that's going to lead them to depression, anxiety, fear, all these things. You know, how do you do when you're coaching and you're transformational coaching, you have a 90 day personal development, the difference between an idiot like me who self inflicts alcohol and drugs on them or someone that it's circumstantial and and really i mean th there's no conscious decision now they're stuck in just a biochemical uh, vicious cycle yeah i think it all that arises starts with our thoughts so you know i think everything starts with our thinking eventually we have to you know my coaching program is called the shift we have to shift our thinking if we can change the way we're thinking we can change the way we're living and if we can change the way we're living we can we can crush life but it all starts with actually noticing what we're thinking about. And that's why I'm so passionate about mindfulness and meditation and yoga to be aware of the thinking that's creating our reality. Now, easier said than done, especially if you're at a, if you're at a rock bottom, but I think, you know, it just for, for people that are struggling in addiction, for me, the, my core wound was the loss of my purpose, the loss of my identity, baseball. The only thing I ever knew, yes, I had a massive, cadaver transplant, major traumatic surgery, bedridden for a month. The doctor prescribed 80 Percocet for a week, uh, for a, a week, for a month, and then cut me off cold turkey. And I placed the blame on the doctor for a while. And, and yeah, that was kind of the perfect storm. But at its core, when I got into rehab, started to get therapy, I didn't want to feel the emotional pain of the loss of baseball the love of my life, my purpose. So I numbed it every single day. And so when I, when I work with athletes, I'm, I'm so passionate about telling them, you better know who you are beyond the sport because it's going to end for you one day, whether it's this amazing retirement ceremony or it ends on a dime with an injury, you better know who you are, right? And that's why I love Darren and everything else he does with his music and how much he's in the community and service. I, I say this all the time, but I do feel like if for whatever reason football were to end tomorrow for him, he'd be all good. He'd be fine because he's he's more than just his sport. It's so important, right? Purpose before passion. Like I may not want to like do this kind of work, but I'm drawn to it and I have to do it. And then when I do it, I'm in it. I'm like, that's why I do it. Do you know what I mean? So I love how you said that. So here's a question. Do you regret anything? Because you you've obviously faced so much adversity. You're a huge success now. Do you regret anything from the past? I, I can't because I trusted everything happened the way it was supposed to in order for my soul and my life to evolve. Now, we were talking about this yesterday. Does some shame come up for some of the decisions for, for the pain and the sleepless nights I put my mom through? 
yeah, it still surfaces. Sometimes situations will come up or be brought to my attention or some judgment from somebody else about my past and it comes up, but it goes away every single time I just talk about it and carry the message. It's like, it's just the, the, the burden has been lifted once I'm just in, in my purpose, in service, just sharing my mess. The mess is the message today. You yeah. know, in, in personal relationships, um, all three of us, in knowing you two so well now, um, fall into this trap that, I, that I'm uh, contemplating and, str and struggling with, is that I am blessed to be around so many people I can help. Um, and, you know, I, the traveling's opening up again. And yet I have a family. You know, I have three daughters. Luckily, two are in college. And, you know, I don't feel the pain uh, of being away from. But I have a senior in college and 11, a senior in high school and 11-year-old son and who just walked into the closet studio that I'm in. And I feel conflicted. You know, I, I feel conflicted with my priority uh, of my own health my own family and my purpose. Um, and I am currently fighting a, a struggle that, you know, is it selfish or selfless to be out there doing meetups, helping, you know, all, all the things I'm doing to, to on my mission to empower over a billion people, I'm trying to balance making sure that my son's happy. Right. And I see, I know Mike and, and Donnie, you guys work with people that do a lot for the world and their sons and their grandsons and daughters and granddaughters are ODing or suicidal or depressed or anxious. How, how have you been able to, as professionals, you know, help people like me reconcile a, a big mission uh, with what's most important? Um, so I would say the two things that come up for me when you're describing that are, you said the word of balance. And I think to know, to find balance, we have to know when we're off balance, which comes back to awareness again, which is why I love like yoga or practices that allow us to see when we're off balance, it's like in the doing, or it's like when our mind leaves, we come back, we come back to our center. So having the practices that allow us to know what balance looks like and what our non-negotiables are. And then the second piece would be self-love and self-care. And making sure that we aren't putting everybody else's needs before our own needs. And that whatever our list of our self-care is, even if it is service, that these are our non-negotiables and they need to be in place so that we feel full. So I think if it, if it is being out there and being of service, then that's part of your non-negotiables. But I don't have children, but I can imagine the inner, uh, the inner battle that would happen with serving your family and serving others and serving your beautiful dog. Which our dog served. Yeah, dog ate all the fries when I came over that day. <laughs> She's like begging I'm, me. It's so good. I'm gonna jump on from the balance as well because I love that, especially in my sobriety. I have to have the mindfulness and that. But the one thing I'm, I'm gonna say to you, Dave, is that because I know it comes from the right spot intentionally, you really give a lot to people. Um, and like they say, your calling is a personal call, not a conference call. I know you're drawn to give that way. And I do also know we're lucky now we have information error and your son's 11, you can communicate, you put him on the gram, but when you're around him, you're really around him. And I know that with you. And when you're around your daughter, cause I spent time with you. So I think, you know, you could see people in a relationship for 30 years and they haven't spent 30 minutes together. But the, th the three minutes you spend is like three years. So I think because it's drawn correctly, you're intentional, but you are, you like, you really give, like you don't have to do meetups. You just do them. Do you know what I'm saying? And I've been to your meetups. So I think you just have to come back to you, which you do and say, yeah, this is right. I'm doing this right. And when I'm, when I'm with my family, I'm giving them those three minutes, which really is three years. Not the person that comes in, son's in bed, you never see the dad, but I was there. I gave you everything. No, but you weren't present. So you're present. So I would, you know what I'm saying? Give yourself, what comes yeah. to mind listening to you too is that the difference between now and before for me is that I do say no, right? There, there is a time where if I feel out of balance, uh, like yoga and Donnie teaches so much within the context of balance, I, I do say, wait a second, I'm taking my daily inventory of what, who, how. I'm going to change my mind today 
and I'm going to cancel this and I'm going to let someone know the reason I'm canceling this is I'm going to do, you know, this with my son. And, you know, I appreciate your patience and understanding for me changing a commitment that I had, but this is a non-negotiable for me. I want to get back into balance and there'll always be an opportunity to do this again. And I think a lot of times that takes a lot of courage in the business world, especially to, and, and I will tell you my favorite thing, and, and we'll, we'll let you go die until next interview, but my favorite thing is every time I'm afraid of telling someone, hey, I'm, you know, I just told Portugal that I'm not coming because I'm going to spend Halloween with my son until the next day. And they have this huge round table that I was supposed to lead. And, and I'm thinking in my head, oh, they're going to think I'm a piece of, you know, shit. And I'm not committed, you know, to the money they're paying me and the stuff I'm supposed to do. But every time I think that, it was like not even a big deal. It's like they're proud of me. Oh my gosh, of course you want to spend Halloween with your 11 year old. You know, like what what were we thinking? We're so sorry for inviting you. We didn't know the American holiday, you know. And I've never seen someone go like, really? You're going to spend time with your family instead of me? And why is that? Because you would never say that to someone, Donnie. You would never say that to someone, Mike. Really, Dave, you can't come because you're spending time with your son or your wife or your family or your dog. Are you kidding? No. So, and I really appreciate all that you guys do uh, in the investment that you make in yourselves by elevating others and celebrating others. I do want to re-promote, re, re by the way, right? The Comeback Stories podcast. I do thousands of interviews. If you don't catch Comeback Stories before the Dave Meltzer one, but end with the Dave Meltzer one we just did, you're missing out because we actually, you're going to learn, you're going to have to take you know, double, triple notes, listen to it five times to get all the nuggets that I got out of Donnie and Darren, let alone, I don't know what I dropped because I was channeling. So uh, Donnie Starkins, you're incredible, a dear friend, a mentor, a teacher, a coach. Check him out, DonnieStarkins.com. If you need someone to change your life, change your mindset, change your life, it's Donnie Starkins. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, guys. Great to meet you. you. See you soon. Bye, Donnie. Hey, that's awesome. He, we could go hours with that guy. He fits into this. If he wore a black shirt, I would have kept him on. We just skipped the, the next guest. But it, it didn't match, Mike. It didn't match. Our next guest, hopefully, doesn't have a black shirt on. Oh, oh no, I have. I have a gray shirt on. Damn oh, it looks black. He changed. He changed. Let's he changed let's that. let's pretend it's black. How about yeah. that? How are you, Sanket? Uh, hey, David, I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Founder and CEO of Synapse. Um, and you guys have a very popular new platform called Credit Hub. And yeah. the space that I've danced in for a long time, a very profitable space with great margins and multiple uh, multiple purposes now. And it's ever-changing as well. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the space and what C Credit Hub does different uh, today than what it previously did and what it does in the space. Yeah, for sure. Um so as a reminder to everyone, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make it easier for people that are not banks to be able to embed banking products into their application and really distribute them. Um, we've done that a whole lot with deposits. So issuing debit cards, savings accounts, things like that. Um, we're, we are at the core of the company very mission driven. So we wanna ensure that everyone across the planet has access to high class financial products. Um, and we think high-class financial products sit in three verticals, deposit, credit, and investments. So pretty much Credit Hub is the next installment uh, of what we really want to accomplish. And what we're really trying to do with Credit Hub that is not possible to do easily today is um, if you're a developer, if you're not a bank, and you really want to embed credit products into your application, now you can do it in the course of three to, like, three to six weeks, um, eight at the most. And what that really does for your customers is it lets you either uh, um, uh, lend them money, it lets you build credit for them, issue credit cards to folks that have never act never had access to credit cards, make it much easier for small businesses to get credit lines, spend cards, all these different things. So we think the future of banking is all digital, all online, and in most cases through technology companies, not banks. And we're really trying to make it easier for anyone to anyone and everyone to be able to build uh, on top of the credit trails, which historically has been almost impossible to build. And even in cases you pull it off, 
It takes about 12 to 18 months to really do it with proper bank partnership and the right compliance frameworks. Here you get everything in a package and really deliver it in about like six to eight weeks at the most. So I got a question. So you came from India, you studied engineering and that, but then you said you you pivoted because you because your immigration status you couldn't get a bank account, correct? <laughs> yeah, I could not open up a bank account when I came to America and I could yeah. not even open up a bank account after I'd been here for a few years as well. I had to always go into a bank branch. So that's how I first realized that there was a big disparity here for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because I had the same issue. Even though I when I came from Australia. It was wow. so hard to get, and I, I've got yeah. a green card, but they were giving me a hard time. I'm like, I want to put money in the bank. And then <laughs> building my credit was impossible because yeah. I couldn't get a credit card. So I had to borrow against myself to build my, you know, it's brilliant. It's true. People don't understand how hard it is if you don't have good credit in this country and you can't yeah, build it. So it's amazing. It's kind of catch, catch 22. They don't give you a bank account because you don't have credit, but how would you have credit if you don't have a bank account? The nuance of lending money, and I know you guys have lent over 40 million in credit out there, but it's so ironic too, right? Like when you need money, nobody lets you borrow it. And when you don't need it, they're begging you to take it. Um, and if you do borrow it when you need it, it's at high interest rates. And if you don't need it, they give you lower interest rates. They call you to lower your interest rate. I, it's completely counterintuitive. And, you know, now that we have, you know, digital currency, the MOIP, I call it, money over IP, uh, it's reestablishing and democratizing banking. Uh, you know, nothing has been more frustrating to me than understanding how, especially people that have lower levels of deposits are, you know, taking percentage wise, you know, such a huge hit on their banking. And, you know, it may, if you have millions of dollars and there's a $4.99 uh, charge per whatever it's a minuscule amount percentage wise but when you're carrying which most of america does under a thousand dollar balance mm -hmm. and there's multiple 499 charges it gets usury and it's a way around the usury laws as a lawyer and what are you doing to help uh, democratize banking to not only allow people to get credit to open bank accounts but you know you have you know oh, what, over a billion dollars of deposit 10 billion dollars in deposits all of the credit that you've issued what are you doing to re-engineer that usury practice that has made banks the richest service industry in the world? At the core of what we needed to change, and that's what Synapse has done a good job of, is reduce the cost of opening an account and maintaining an account, right? So like at the core of it, that's what it really is. When a bank's charging you those $4, like $4.99 a month, at the core of it, there's a lot of manual work that's required in being able to operate this account. Uh, and overall, the revenue, overall, the revenue streams are low or minuscule if you have low, lower balance on the account. So to be able to really give everyone access to fair and equitable banking, the first thing you do is how could you automate as much of this as possible? And how do you really reduce the cost so that identifying someone isn't requiring a person to look at them? Because if you don't have a social security number, then someone has to manually verify you. Um, yeah. So being able to tinker around those systems is the primary aspect. The secondary aspect when you get to credit ends up being other alternate and um, underwriting models that are not FICO-based, not credit, credit score-based that you could deploy that lets you get a better insight into customers' spending patterns and propensity to pay. Um, and the great thing about embedded finance is precisely uh, you can be an employer who wants to give a line of credit to your employee. You could be a platform like TikTok or, or Lyft that has an insight into someone's income stream and has this first line visibility into what money they're going to get and what their obligations are and be able to make more precise and better underwriting decisions. We think these are the things that are really going to really broaden the scope of what's possible in banking and who gets access. Because those two pieces have been, with traditional banks, very antiquated and quite expensive to maintain at the end of the day. That's unbelievable. So where do you see the company going in the next five years? Because there's a lot of stuff going on, the cryptocurrency and different things. Where do you see it, things going in the next five years for you? That's actually an interesting question on crypto. I'll kind of answer that as well. Uh, uh, we're hyper-focused on taking deposit credit and investments globally. So we want to be able to make sure that not just in the US, which is where we today are primarily, 
but it doesn't matter where you live. You should be able to get a bank account and you should be able to get credit uh, um, uh, if you have uh, propensity to pay and willingness to pay. Uh, we think of crypto as an operating system, just like how the traditional banking system is an operating system. We think some of the stuff we're going to do in crypto, some of the stuff we're going to do in traditional banking infrastructure. So in our minds, like if you take stable coin, right, like it goes all the way down to a deposit account, you can really keep a stable currency. Uh, uh, investments, we think of Bitcoin, Ethereum more so as an investment vehicle because they're speculative and the value changes. And then with the DeFi arbitrage exchange, we can do a lot of credit issuance to people as well. So we think crypto overall is going to be uh, uh, baked into our strategy more and more as we go forward. Um, and I think we're going to have a mix of both because the goal is to be able to give people a good product. It's less so about crypto or traditional banking. Um, so that's that's where we see Synapse going over the course of the next five years. Let's, let's take banking global. Uh, we think the primary areas we're more so focused on are areas where you have net negative interest rates. How can you change that for people? Areas where you do not have en enough faith in local currency, you have high inflation, or there are export taxes. Brazil is a good example of this. You have to pay a 5% uh, uh, that on any shopping you do outside of Brazil. Um, and then the final piece that's been kind of insane to watch, if, if it turns out that you're, you're an influencer, not in the developed countries, you by definition don't get paid with TikTok and YouTube and all these different creator platforms. So how do we give, make sure that these folks have access to banking rails so that they can get paid through these various creator platforms as well? So we think those are going to be the three big areas we're going to focus on initially because we think there's a lot of disproportionate impact there. And we think there's tons of opportunity there for embedded finance as well. Um, and then take steps further and make it as big as we can on the global scale. And so, uh, um, don't you think that beyond saving fees, uh, utilizing stable coins and other such uh democratized vehicles that were able to pay higher yields on the actual savings accounts, which has been, you know, robbery as well over the last decade, especially, uh, does it enable you or empower you to ever to provide greater yields for saving? Totally. Your, your insights are spot on. Uh, one thing that putting money in stablecoin does, um, and we're seeing increasing adoption of this with USDC and DAI, two most popular stablecoins, is you can cut out the middleman on really lending uh, your, your stable coins out, thus getting a higher yield. And there's a lot of efficiency in the market in being able to just deliver a much higher yield. The bank doesn't keep a higher portion of this because there are no banks in the middle. You're kind of going through a DeFi exchange to be able to do this. And some of our customers have started adopting this and they're getting like anywhere close to 5% in APY uh, because uh, um, you don't. You're not pegged to a Fed Fed interest rate, and it turns out developing countries and various borrowers in developing countries are borrowing uh, these stable coins quite aggressively. Uh, now, again, I would obviously say uh, there's more work that needs to be done around risk mitigation and just making sure that people's money is safe and who are you, who you're lending to, you're going to have enough repayments and things like that. But I think we're moving in the right direction on most of these things. You're absolutely right. Like DeFi is very intriguing precisely for the reason that you can get a much higher interest rate on it than you can get with a traditional bank. Well, thank you so much for enlightening us into the future of banking. And you guys at Synapsify.com are providing it today uh, with an unbelievable amount of deposits and lending uh, capability. And it's not to only the wealthy, which I love. It's Helping out everyone as a son of a single mom and knowing in old days the cash, uh, the fast cash loans and the, and the high interest rates, you know, those days are over and we've done it through a systematic approach, not through a regulatory approach, which I think is super cool. Thank you for leading the way, my friend. Please come back, update us, give us some more valuable information. You can check them out at synapsify.com. Thank you, Sankit. I appreciate Thanks, you. Guys. Awesome. Bye. Great interview. All awesome. right, we're two for two. Now we got it. It's time for Snap. Founder and CEO of Snap Mobile. That's my man right there, Cole Morgan. Welcome to Office Hours. Hey, guys. How are you? We're Good. amazing. How about you? I'm doing really well. 
You know, it's funny. We've had all three guests have had white shelves in the background. It's like they're all guys <laughs> in one house. You guys have some well, kind of influencer house? <laughs> if, if I turn the camera the other way, you just see an old mattress stuck up against the wall. So that's why you get this angle. You got my laundry over, awesome. laundry over here, my belts over here, my closet. Oh, yeah. I'm my dog's special guest, Coco, today. So thanks for joining <laughs> us. Uh, and you guys are launching something new as well, a new comprehensive technology platform uh, to help schools uh, and administrators, athletic art, all the things that matter in sports, uh, manage uh, what is now a very segregated, difficult thing to manage and uh, very antiquated. I was at a car show yesterday in Vegas speaking and I was joking around. I'm like, yeah, I can't believe it. You know, like most auto dealers just switched over from dot matrix printers and they're like, no, they haven't switched over all of them yet. Uh, I think when you're talking about school administration in all of, especially the extracurriculars, uh, it's pre dot matrix printer type of administration going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it, <laughs> it's really, it's really very antiquated. I think, you know, through COVID though, we've actually seen, you know, the market, the market, the coaches, program leaders, schools really pulling and adopting technology in a way that they, you know, never had to before. I mean, it started snap eight years ago and it was one of the first, you know, people uh, going into schools and just talking to coaches and group leaders and band directors about the need to adopt technology in order to advance their programs. And it was really kind of an uphill battle for, you know, a really long period of time to get them to understand why, you know, why we really needed to make this change, uh, why we needed to adopt technology in schools and especially at the program level. Um, but during the pandemic, just the, the need to be on Zoom to connect with your students, the communications tools that are out there in schools, uh, the adoption of technology has just really changed in the in schools. Yeah, I have a question. Schools are really hard to get into, really impossible. You're in 15,000 schools. Yeah. So, you know, that's crazy. So for yeah. someone watching, they may be going, first of all, I've got this idea. There's so much red tape to even get the ball rolling into a school. So for like for someone watching it, how did you get it going? And then how, I mean, obviously you faced a lot of adversity, a lot of no's, and that's where people just throw in the towel. So yeah. could you run us through that process? Yeah. So we, um, we built a really large sales force. Um, you know, we're more old school then, you know, we're, we're not a, we're, we, we have not typically been, or we weren't, the way I phrase it to the company is we had to do everything unconventional to get off the ground. And now we're doing everything conventional to scale. And so I Brilliant. think, you know, when you're thinking about entrepreneurs trying to get into schools, trying to start new companies, it's like, you just, we had to do what we had to do to get to our customer base. We've grown, we've established a business and, and we're evolving it. But really what we did to get into schools was build a really large, um, you know, boots on the ground sales force. And now we're evolving that sales force into real um, software account executives. And it's a, it's a fun evolution as a founder CEO to, to go through from like, you know, that like really creative, fun, wild, crazy time to get it going to then the scaling process of a company, you know, by surrounding myself with great people and, and evolving the technology. And uh, it, it's been really fun. And your platform has quantitative results. I mean, you guys have been able to almost raise uh, for those different uh, activities almost a half a billion dollars, uh, which has helped. I've you. never thought about it like that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. And you yeah. have now been able to raise more money, which will give you more fuel to the fire uh, to help raise. More. What I love about your raise, and you, you've you know finished your second round here, your Series B at what ninety million. Uh, that just says to me, it's so much fun because I know how the vending machine works. You put 90 million into a guy like Cole Morgan. Now we're going to get to 900 million uh, in raises, which, you know, is going to save our country because th these are the people that lead the world. You know, one of the most common denominators uh, for men and women executives in America is they played college sports. Yeah. It's one of the most common denominators uh, or they're exceptional at music or art. Uh, it, it's not necessarily math uh, yeah. that does it to lead to lead. And you guys are developing through Snap Mobile, these leaders. Um, when you started out as a vision, did you see the enormity of impact of, you know, not only 15,000 schools, but 48,000 teams, groups and clubs, 2.5 million artists and athletes all out there supportive, right? Supportive that someday we'll give back even more. Um, it's just a beautiful, uh, what I call merry-go-round philosophy yeah. of fund. 
Um, I think it's something this big. I, I think I think we envisioned something really big. I don't think we knew what it would feel like along the way to become something big. Uh, I, and I would just say, you know, our investors invested in a team of people and a mission, not just Cole Morgan. Sorry. So, you know, I might be the mouthpiece and the guy that gets to do fun stuff like this. Look, man, it's, you, you're just it's good a team. Looking. You can't even, you're not even the mouthpiece. You're just good looking. You just stand there. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. Look, look, at these two, look at these two guys in black. We're not raising money yeah, off. Right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think we, what we wanted to do was really, we wanted to impact the lives of kids. And, you know, to go, it, it's hard to go right to kids. It's it's hard to, to, to get right to a, a consumer base of, of students and families. Uh, so what we thought was, based on my experience, my high school football coach, the guy that gave me the loan to start our business, um, I saw what he did for a group of young men and women, you know, that he encountered and what he did for all of us. And so what I, what my, what my mission was, was to support guys like Doug Trainer, Coach T, we call him, uh, so that they can impact the lives of more kids. And if I can build or we can build at Snap solutions that power Coach T and the program leaders like him, then we'll have a much better society uh, of young men and women. So that that was the that was the whole mission of, of Snap. It's amazing. So you you're just in America. Have you ever thought of taking the program overseas, or you're just staying in America? I've thought about it. We're this is just a big this is just a, a big market. It's a big opportunity here. Um, but Mike, where are you from? Australia. Australia. But you I like? Love, I mean, let's yeah. Let's go on like, a discovery trip. Like I'm yeah, saying, I'm like in. you know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's such a great technology and everyone follows America. They just do in, in yeah. a good way. So it's like there's probably opportunities over there. Like, I mean, it's such a great what you've created is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. yeah we're, we're interested. We're, you know, we're focused on the high school, you know, U.S. high school market. And I think we're going to get pulled because of the nature of what we're building and we're going to get pulled into different segments and, and we'll listen and, you know, but we're, our, our customers supporting group leaders, you know, here in the U S and you're a leader, you know, I always have coached quarterbacks. My business partner was, you know, another Washington quarterback like you, uh, Warren moon, almost as good as you at Washington. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but no, as a quarterback and a leader, um, and you're obviously a team player, you know, we were talking about these executives being, college athletes what are some of the lessons that you learned as a quarterback in college that you've utilized to to win this game you know you guys are winning this game you're successful but you know you're not overnight success i'm sure there's many nights in starting in what 2014 that mm -hmm. you said going, what am i doing <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> I, I could be doing something different and, and getting a lot better results, uh, but you seem to have the consistent, persistent pursuit of your own potential. You got this leadership, this quarterback type of personality. What are those characteristics or lessons that you carry forward into your team at Snap? Uh, I think personally, it's what I learned playing the position is nobody accomplishes anything great on their own. So I think there's a, a sense of selflessness uh, and a sense of, being able to say that out loud is also being self-aware that you need people around you to achieve great success. Uh, I think as a leader of a team and as a company, uh, one of the things I pulled from sports is this dogged obsession and rumination about, you know, who we're playing next week. And I've taken that into our market. Now, I wouldn't say it's very health healthy in like relationships or you know, anything like that. But uh, when it comes to work, you know, I'm just so focused on it. Um, and again, I think just achieving, I, I enjoy, I think I've found the personal success of like, I really enjoy winning together. Um, and so I think, you know, like how we share those wins and, and communicate amongst each other, you know, amongst, amongst the company that we're all having success here is really important. Well, you're doing such an important job, snap slash raise.com, snap mobile. Um, but you do have the most common denominator. I'm blessed to be around those hall of famers uh since i ran lee steinberg on i've been around the billionaires millionaires entrepreneurs celebrities athletes entertainers like yourself and the one common denominator that i see uh in what you do is it's a desire that you must be what you can be for others it's yeah. more than just you must be what you can be for yourself it's you're a celeb 
Brent, not a celebrity, and you elevate so many others to elevate yourself. And just wanted to congratulate you and honor you and have you on office hours. Keep up the great work. There's certain people that I watch as entrepreneurs that I know are changing the world in a different way than most people would realize. And you're one of them and your team is absolutely one of them as well. So thanks, Cole. Check him Thank out. You so CEO founder of Snap Mobile Inc. Take care. Awesome. See you guys. Man, there's some guys you just know are quarterback, right? It's like, oh, look at Tom Brady. <laughs> good, good, right? Good looking. He's probably really tall, controlled. Right, right, right. Like, nice. like, he's on. nice. He's kind. He's looking out for others. All right, let's bring someone ugly on. All right, here we go. Evan, welcome, my friend. Evan. Oh, darn. It's, yeah. a hard, it's hard act to follow. I'll admit. <laughs> no, he looks like a linebacker. Evan, look oh, what he yeah, said. Right. I mean, he says that. Let's bring someone ugly on. Like, come on, Dave. Yeah, yeah. I'm only about a buck eighty, so I'm not a linebacker. <laughs> don't worry about yeah. I don't have that. You guys got I'm a buck eighty. Five foot two and a buck eighty. I'm awesome. <laughs> uh, Evan Kirkham, welcome to the craziness. CEO of ColorCast, ColorCA.st. Um, he's an armchair quarterback, that's for sure. I am. Um, co-founder of ColorCast. Uh, has an audio uh, app. Um, for commentary in oh, sports yeah. broadcasting uh and it's super cool because uh you also uh were in a one minute pitch competition in south by southwest i thought maybe just give me a little bit of background um on color cast and then i think you might uh have a few questions or a question for mike and i yeah absolutely uh yeah so color cast is it's a social audio platform uh think kind of like clubhouse which most of your viewers are probably familiar with at this point uh, where anybody anywhere uh, with actually no equipment other than their iPhone or iPad can commentate on on live sports. Um, you know, the, I'll tell you kind of where it started. So, like, I am a giant Dallas Cowboys fan. Like, I bleed blue. I knew I, it. I grew up in Dallas. Like, look, it, they're they're probably the most polarizing team. So, I, I always catch black for it. But uh, I, you know, I knew you were a Dallas Cowboy fan because Matt was like, "Oh, I can't wait to hear Evan." I can't wait to hear Evan. And Matt's like the biggest Cowboy fan. You know, the Cowboys are the only ones to beat the Chargers this year with that 56-yard field goal. So yeah, not, that was it. not feeling good about you, Evan. I'm going to give you bad advice. <laughs> no, hey, that was an awesome game. And I think both of them are going to have a great season. So, anyway, yeah, I, uh, anyway. I digress. Um, you give me a little commentary, a little flavor of that's the right. color cast right here, live on That's right. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I was watching a Dallas Cowboys game, um, Thursday night football, and – this was back in 2019, and two kind of notoriously awful commentators were on the call, Jason Witten and Booger McFarland. Like, pretty objectively awful, don't have jobs anymore, like, don't, don't do the whole commentating gig. But Jason Witten was, a spe was, like, particularly irking me because the dude is a Dallas Cowboy. And in my mind, he should have been cheering for the Dallas Cowboys, not the Eagles. Uh, but because he was on, you know, he's on the network broadcast, he had to be purposefully unbiased. Um, and I got so irritated at that unbiased behavior uh, that I actually just turned off the TV. And sort of in that moment, the, the thought I had was, look, I don't know everything about the Cowboys and I'm not a linebacker, uh, but, but uh, I can be biased about them and I can be a super fan and passionate. And if my thinking at the time was if news consumption habits and sports consumption habits track at all, people would want to tune into their bias when they're watching sports. Now, it's evolved into a lot more than that. Now we have talk shows all throughout the week. We're doing NHL, NBA, NFL, NCAA, um, sports gambling. It's kind of everything. Uh, but it's a really cool place for communities of sports nuts to uh, relate to each other and, and kind of have an audio conversation. That's super cool. And uh, what do you think, just real quick before you ask the question, how yeah. about Tony Romo? He's one of my favorite analysts. I actually think Tony Romo is awesome. I think he's a better analyst than he is a quarterback, uh, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> so I was kind of waiting for the Romo era to end for a while there. But uh, that's like uh, the, that's like my wife and Philip Rivers era. She couldn't wait for Justin Herbert to come. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, that was, that was an upgrade for sure. But uh, but anyway, yeah. So that's that's color casting. It's been a blast. We've been growing. We grew like a hundred percent in the last four weeks. So we're wow. we're doing that. We just raised some cash. So. Uh, Got an eight or nine per a nine person team, so it's it's uh, it's going. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. Well, you got you got a question for us? Yeah. So okay, my question, and this is honestly probably not. The fans, but you know, 
we just raised we just raised some cash uh a, a million and a half bucks um it's our pre-seed round so we raised some cash uh we've had some cool celebrities ex-athletes on we have a super cool concept um but we're having a hard time like generating press uh and, and in my mind like press is a very critical piece of our go-to-market strategy because it's buzzy it's fun like it's a consumer app and we need the press and, and my question i guess for you guys is you know what would you suggest doing to to generate that do i need to go hire another pr firm i've already blown through one uh two actually uh do i need to just be just hitting people up on twitter and trying to get some hype there like what do you have any suggestions around press generation Mike, I'll let you go first because obviously well, it's before competency. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, well this is, uh, first of all, publicists aren't going to get your press. Right. Don't, don't depend on the publicist. Well, publicist, I got a comment there, right? Publicist, Sorry. just so everyone knows, because this show is about educating. What I have found publicists do is they burn through the relationships that they have and then they're done, right? Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they all have, uh, whether it's one or 10, they all have the one to 10 go-tos when you first start to say, yeah. give me this a month and then you're dead. Yeah. I will say my publicist is good, Jen, because she introduced <laughs> me to you, Dave, and she she did. She I wouldn't have gotten Dave with people. I'm, yeah, I'm, Jen, she big, Jen's big good. Team. Jen's Great. good. But um, first of all, here's a question I have for you. Sure. What press do you want? Why do you want the press? And what value are you going to bring to your audience with the press? Okay. So so, so hold on one second. Yeah, oh, sure, sure. It. That's the biggest mistake we make. We go, I want a publicist. I want press for my brand. And then when you mm. sit with a publicist, like Dave said, they're going to send out to their local feeders. You don't get stories. You waste. You get the next publicist. You get the next publicist. But yeah. you've got to be specific of what press you want, why you want the press. Do you know what I'm saying? And say, well, what, what is this press? And what value am I bringing to other people? Because everyone has a story. Like Dave, mm -hmm. Dave just launched Bloomberg TV, okay, mm -hmm. on Friday, okay? Mm -hmm. People don't know what he did to get that show to put mm -hmm. on. He does his own press. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. not, I mean, he literally does his own press and pitches yeah. his own stories, right? Dave, that's not, that's the truth, right? Right. So, right. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, th that's what you've got to let Dave ask it and then answer it. But Dave, well, you're right, Dave. Oh, yeah. 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 So I, I think it's really important. What you want is community. Uh -huh. You want to grow your community. Uh -huh. And the cheapest way to grow your community is free press. Uh, and that's what you're, that's what you're saying. It doesn't have to necessarily be, the Wall Street Journal or Good Morning America or whatever. What I have found to be really interesting in your space, which is yeah. something that I do, and you mentioned it, right? Do I just have to go on Twitter? Yes, you have You have to get as much exposure as you can by capturing what you're doing, amplifying it and modifying it correctly to all the platforms mm -hmm. and perpetuating so it grows upon itself. What, what other mechanisms are there in your space because it's fanatic driven? It's very easy to know your spectrum. You know, right, you, it's just like the news, right? You said, you know, th this is very biased. So number one, you know who to target with that bias. So certain press is not going to be good press for you because if it's a, they're not going to hear you, see you, or want you if they're mm -hmm. not in the, the right uh, mindset to do so. So what, what are some things to do? I would go, especially with NIL, to the mm -hmm. college level. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. You're building your future, and it's a very fanatic a group of people that have parents and grandparents mm -hmm. and it sports itself is a family thing. So mm -hmm. what I would do is I would go to all the uh, announcers, uh, commentators that are in college mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I would reach out because of the NIL and I'd say, Hey man, I'll give you $50 a month. Mm -hmm. Right. Let, let me give you 50. I'm going to sponsor your show. Mm -hmm. I want you to use our, our app and I want you to promote all the other shows and post wh whatever it is that's right for them. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, those micro communities will aggregate upon themselves. Your exposure will go up. And pretty soon, like me, the press will start coming, asking you to come on the big shows, asking you to do that. Yeah. It won't happen until you have a community because all you're doing is either buying someone that has a relationship to put you on, but there's no community. So it's not going to resonate. Yeah. You want to build the community and have the press asking you to build a bigger community. That's really interesting. And that's, yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for the response. And I mean, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. So like, I, I mean, when we, we launched the app in December of uh, last year, right. And, and at the time, if I wanted to get anyone of any notoriety, I'm talking like 
5,000 Twitter followers on, I uh, I couldn't, or I'd have to pay. Did you guys just lose me? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I couldn't, or I'd have to pay them, right? Uh, and what's crazy is as we're growing the community, now we're having people with like 100,000 followers say, how do I get on? Yeah. So I, I totally see what you're saying about like, grow the community and we'll like grow into the publications or the casters as we call them uh, that we want to bring on the platform. That makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, Evan, you, you know, everyone knows Gary V. People don't True. know that Gary V did wine TV for years and years and years on YouTube mm -hmm. and was on Twitter forever with no followers before mm -hmm. it, it took forever. People used mm -hmm. to laugh at him. Mm -hmm. And now that now he does it, but he just got on, like Dave's saying, built the community, stayed on the platform, stayed on the platform, right? Me. They asked me what I was doing. It just, it grows two by two. And the good news is you have good content. You yeah. know the spectrum. You can strengthen that signal. Feel free, reach out to me, david at dmelter.com. I'll help you guys. I, I deal with this issue all the time in community okay. building. So, uh, in the sports space. So, obviously, there's a lot of great platforms out there that you can cannibalize their audience with yeah. very little money or no money, be able to get way better press than paying, you know, five, 10,000 a month for a PR agent to cannibalize yes. relationships. Anyway, we got to jump, my friend. Thank you, Evan. Evan Kirkham. Check them out. It's a fast growing, super cool CEO of ColorCast. Be your own color commentator. Uh, let other people think you're great or suck just like we do. All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate so it, guys. Thanks. Bye, Evan. All right, man. Take away for the day, Mikey D. It's really interesting today. Everyone yeah. was just amazing. But you know what? Evan made me resonate with something. I, I think people are in a rush to arrive. Take your time. You've got time. Say it again. That's a good one. People are in a rush to arrive. Take your time. You've got time. Stay present. Take your time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Focus on, you know, what you want, why you want it, how you want to get it, and just sit. Just just chill. Like he's like, I need the publicist. No, just like you said, stop. Build the community one by one. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. So, so that's what I would say. Take your time. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I was most impacted by Donnie. Um, and it's something that you deal with every day. Uh, but what are we doing to numb ourselves? Um, and, right. What, what are we doing to, I talk about clearing the interference, but, you know, whether it was Donnie or Sankat or Cole or Evan, you know, there, there's this pain that's present. And the, pain is illusory determine the meaning that we give it and i am working really hard to help people uh to numb the pain through uh activity or breathing or yoga or meditation not through other means of projection or you know alcohol drugs etc there's so many people so i want everyone to take away not only the amazing takeaway of Mikey, uh, which I think is amazing, don't be in such a hurry to arrive, but also ask yourself tonight, what am I doing to numb my pain instead of heal it? Uh, and they're two different things. So I pray for everyone's healing. I pray for one's happiness, especially I pray for Mike Diamond. Diamond Life Fuel is something I use every day. I'm going to start. I think I need another tub soon. So I'll okay. send you a bunch. You know that. Office Hour launches the TV show, which Mikey D is in. This this Friday, we're having a launch party down in Carlsbad. Anyone wants to come, we'd love to have you. Mike Diamond is a superstar in it, as always, as he helped establish the show on Wednesdays with me. I, as always, have great gratitude. Thank you for saving lives, my friend. Take care. Love you, Dave. Bye, Dave. Love you. Keep dressing like me, man. You almost look as good in black as I do. All right. Last thing, Matt. I, Dodgers suck, and so do the Cowboys. I hope they lose. Uh, and I uh, am a big, big Giants fan right now. I will tell you that. Otherwise, most importantly, it's more good news Wednesday. We're always here with Mike Diamond giving you more good news. Search.dmelter.com, David at dmelter.com. Most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs>